Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message today is Earworm. Earworm. Which needs no explanation, right? That's just that stands on its own. Now, I'm going to give you a definition of what an earworm is right out the gate. And um, you, you probably don't know maybe this term, but you, you know the thing that this is talking about. And essentially, an earworm is a catchy song or, uh, or some sort of a catchy phrase or sentence, a saying that is continuously looping in a person's mind long after it's listened to. It's this thing that just sort of gets caught up there. And uh, this is a, a, like an earworm is when someone gets a song stuck in their head. Has this ever happened to you where you just get a song stuck in your head and it will not leave? How many of you live with someone who constantly gets a song stuck in your head? And this is actually, you're like, is this grounds for divorce? Because it is annoying. It is so frustrating. We get in fights about it. It happens. Um, and a lot of times, you know, I think when this happens, um, a song gets stuck in your head, sometimes you didn't even want it there, right? Sometimes you weren't the one that got it stuck there. Sometimes it was a result of somebody else. They were humming it, they were singing it, it was out there, and then like it was annoying you that they were like, that this song was stuck in their head, and then they infected you with it, right? The earworm got stuck in your mind, and now you can't escape it. My kids and my wife do this all the time because they're always walking around humming and singing things. It's kind of a thing we do as a family. And so I'll get home and my kids are doing chores or doing different things, and they will be singing something. And the thing that's most frustrating to me is it's, it's usually a song that maybe I, I don't know or wouldn't regularly listen to, which is fine, but it's not the whole song. It's just a segment of it that they just loop over and over and over again until you feel like you, you might murder someone, okay? I will come home, and one of my kids will just be singing like, Watermelon sugar, ha. Ah. Watermelon sugar, hi. Watermelon sugar, hi. Watermelon sugar, hi. Watermelon sugar, hi. Watermelon sugar. I'm like, are there any other words? What else? What comes after that? They're like, I don't know. I'm like, well, what do those words mean? I don't know that either. Who sings that song? No idea. Are you going to stop singing? Honestly, Dad, I didn't even know I was singing. This happens to my family all the time. They will be singing something and I am like, I'm reaching the point of just where I'm, I'm going crazy. And when I confront them about it, they're like, oh, I didn't even notice I was singing. I'm like, you didn't know you were singing the same three words for the last hour. And they're like, no, no totally, totally and completely unaware. Well, I'm like, I need you to stop because I don't like that song anymore. And I'm not sure I like you anymore because it is getting on my last nerve. And then it's trapped up there. And then I find myself later on in the day, even though I don't want to, being like, and I'm like, I'm, now I'm stuck in it. I'm trapped in the loop. And some of you will go to bed tonight with this dumb little loop in your head because the earworm has wedged its way in there and you don't know how to get it out. And, you know, I, like, here's what I've noticed just about people in general is that everyone's mind has its own music, 
And what I mean by this is that there's this sort of unyielding inner monologue that's giving constant unsolicited commentary on everything um, in our lives. And that voice, those lyrics, that loop inside of your head, it has a slant to it, right? It has a style or an angle. And that angle may not represent what you actually value or what you hope to be. You may not even know at times that you are singing along with this loop in your head, but it's up there on repeat, soundtracking your story. And, you know, we all have certain words or phrases or things that our brain latches onto, and they begin to sort of provide the music to the life that we're walking through. I wonder if you've ever seen like a clip from a movie and it didn't have any, any sound in it or didn't have any music to it. Like I've seen this, uh, uh, you can go actually go on YouTube and watch like famous clips of movies with the soundtrack stripped out. It's weird. It doesn't have the same power um, because music provides so much emotion and it shades so much of how we view what is happening in any given scene. If you watch uh, like a, a, a section of like a really scary movie without like the, the strings and the nervous tension music, it just looks like somebody walking down a hallway, right? There's, not, there's nothing scary about it, right? If you watch a romantic scene without the romantic swell in the background, um, you know, you're not really quite sure what you're seeing. It's not as touchy-feely maybe as it should be. An action sequence without the big rising action score in the background just looks like somebody doing a lot of running for no apparent reason. It's weird. It doesn't make any sense. It's missing a good section of the information. And I would tell you that like whatever music is, you know, uh, playing in your mind over any given moment, like that is what's really steering your story. The commentary that you're making about what's happening is far more significant than what is actually happening. And so here's the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning. What is the title track on the self-talk single in your mind? Like if there's one specific thing that you sort of filter everything through, that no matter what is happening, it's sort of the underscore of what is going on around you, what would that thing be? Now, I'll just give you some greatest hits. Maybe you see like yourself inside of this. Like these are things that a lot of us end up soundtracking our lives with. Maybe it's a single uh, of performance, right? Which is, says no matter what you're doing or what's happening, like I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. I should be doing something more or better. I should be working harder or faster because everybody knows that like, you know, achievement determines worth in life, right? If I don't do, like I'm only as good as the last thing I did that people like applauded me for. And so like whatever it is I'm doing right now, if it's good, it's probably could be a little bit better and if it's not good, like I, I, better, I better improve. And uh, if I haven't done anything uh, notable in a while, I better get after it because my worth is on the line. Maybe for some of you, the self-talk single is permanence, right? Which is just like, I can't change. You look at your life and what's going on with you and there are things that you really don't like and you're just like, yeah, but you know, it's like, <laughs> somebody's like, you know, you could do this. That could change everything. And you're like, yeah, but will it? Probably not, because nothing ever really changes. 
Okay, I've lived a, a long enough life to realize that nothing changes. People don't change. I can't change. What's the point? Nothing ever works, right? You get a little headway on something, and then you just end up reverting right back to where you were before. So why even put forth the effort? It doesn't matter. I'm just sort of, this is who I am and the way that I am. Maybe for you, it's pessimism, which is just like, I'm doomed anyway, right? Like something good happens, and everyone's like, look, aren't you so excited? And you're like, not really. Just a matter of time. This is how the universe works. Something good happens so that you get caught off guard so that the horrible thing that's about to happen, you don't notice and it, it just sort of stabs you in the back. And sees you. Everything good is really an illusion because everybody's got a, a selfish angle and you know, you know, it's like everything's doomed to fall apart immediately, uh, you know, eventually. And so I'm just sort of waiting on that to happen. And so even this good thing is really just, uh, it's a bad thing in disguise. So I mean, why celebrate anything in life. Maybe for you, it's, it's, it's pity. Just like, I don't deserve anything good. We think, we look at things around us and we, we, it's not that we don't have dreams or goals or desires. We're just like, you know what? I could go after that, but like, I'm honestly, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not skinny enough for anything that I actually want to materialize in my life. And so, you know, it doesn't make sense to get my hopes up. Or maybe for you, it's none of these things. It's, it's pride. It's, it's this idea of like, I'm a little bit better than them. You know, it's difficult for you to take really uh, input from anybody because, um, you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, yeah, but I know like some areas where you're not quite as good as me. You can always size people up and by comparison, sort of reason as to why they don't know anything. Because, you know, as a default, you kind of think, you know, most people are pretty much idiots and you can only trust yourself. And everyone is, you know, in some way less than you and you really can only rely on your own mind. I wonder if any of this sounds familiar to you right? Um, and if none of it does, just like whichever thing that the person that was next to you ribbed you the hardest during, you know, and then you felt annoyed and frustrated about that, that may have something to do with your life. But what I think is really interesting is because this is sort of something that happens in the confines of each of our own minds is that even those who know us best might be surprised by what we say to ourselves because of how dark or destructive or hurtful or hateful it is. And some of us, we're able to really, at least we think, shield the majority of the people in our lives from what really goes on inside of our minds. I think in reality, some of us talk to ourselves in ways we would never talk to anyone else. I wonder if the person that you are the meanest, most aggressive, most hateful and hurtful to is you. Some of us, we feel stuck with this single sort of running through our mind and we're not really sure what to, to do with it. And what's weird is, like, even a bad song that you've heard a million times, there's still a, a strange comfort in it, right? Like, even if we don't like it, at least it's familiar. And this, I think, is what happens with a lot of the loops in our own minds. We, we hate it, we know it's not good for us, but we're not really sure what to do about it. You ever hear a song that you hate come over the stereo in a Stater Brothers, right? And you're just like, ah, I hate it. But what are you gonna do, right? You're not in control of the playlist. I mean, you could storm the back room and run up and you know what I mean? Um, you could try and pull the wires out of the speaker, but like none of this stuff is gonna work. 
because ultimately it's just gonna be there. And what I wonder in your own personal life is if you ever wish you could delete certain destructive loops off the playlist in your mind. Like if you, if you ever identify that like, even though I don't want it to, it's just kind of there. It's just kind of echoing. Like even though I'm not asking it for its opinion, there's this voice inside of my mind with a specific slant that is just telling me this thing over and over and over and over again. And it, man, it feels so true even though I don't want it to be. How would you do this if you wanted to? How would you delete that destructive loop? I just want to tell you that like, this is something that everybody struggles with to a certain extent. And it's always been this way. And in fact, that's one of the things that really comforts me when I look through Scripture is that both in the Old and New Testament, you run across all these characters who struggle with this in the same way that, that we do. This is not like a modern problem. It's a human problem. And one of the most extreme and I think obvious examples of someone who really struggled with this inner monologue, this self-soundtracking is this guy named David from the Old Testament. And his mind could go to some really, really dark places. And I'll just give you an example of, of how rough it can get in there from this section of, this is a section from an inner monologue that he wrote down in the Psalms. And uh, it's Psalm chapter 22, if you wanna look it up, read it along, or just uh, later look back to make sure I'm not making this up. And uh, a nice little footnote here is it tells us that this, uh, this is supposed to be sung to the tune of Doe of the Dawn, which obviously is a great old hit that we all love, Doe of the Dawn. Doe of the Dawn. Right, like you guys, I don't need to go, because you know. But this is what David writes. <clears throat> Psalm 22, verse one. He says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Does that sound familiar? Jesus actually repeats this on the cross um, when he's dying. He's repeating this piece of poetry. So a lot of people had read this. He says this, why are you so far away? Every day I call to you, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. I'm a worm and not a man. What a great phrase. Scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls, fierce bulls from Bashan. You guys know the type. You ever do this when you're like in, a, in, a, in like a destructive rant? You get so weirdly specific about things. My friend's like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls like the bulls of Bashan. And then he mixes metaphors, which doesn't even really make sense. He's like, they're like lions. So now they're bulls that are like lions. It's like a mix, like a DNA mix. They open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. And he just, I could read so much more. He goes on and on like this. These are just highlights. But think about this in terms of, like, these lyrics are on a loop constantly in his mind. This isn't just something that he wrote down one time. This is something that he pins because he's got to get it out of his head because it's just going looping over and over and over and over again. Now think if you were playing this song over and over and over again in your mind, in what ways this might brainwash you, in what ways this might change the way that you see everything. Imagine like what your inner monologue would look like printed out for the entire world to read. Some of you are thinking like, that is a bad idea. I don't, let's not do that. You guys don't have a machine that could do that, right? Because that would be uncomfortable. But I wonder in terms of just imagining this, I wonder what, what themes would surface. 
I wonder what situations people would read and like we do with this section of poetry from David, we would be like, that's a little bit exaggerated. I mean, that's not really exactly accurate. It's like sort of the mutation in your own mind. I wonder what sort of uneven comparisons people would catch you making being like, really? You think this is identical to this? Wow, that's a little bit, that's not really accurately the way that it is. I wonder what filters other people would see that you don't see at all. Because you're like, that's not a filter, those are just facts. It's just the way that it is. And maybe as you looked at your inner monologue on a page and began to make some of these observations, maybe you could admit to yourself that, yeah, I mean, that, that it is kind of, you know, dark, but you don't know what I've been through in my life, okay? And if you had been through an experience and had the same things happen to me, uh, happen to you that had happened to me, like, like your inner monologue would look like this too. And I think that's a really good point. Because part of what we're seeing here with David is that there have been some really dark things that have happened over the course of his life. He had such extreme highs and lows circumstantially, which is why he's constantly fighting, trying to keep his mind right, trying to keep his thought life level. Like to give you a little bit of background, he is a shepherd boy, grows up in this family, and then one day he is anointed to be the next king, even though he's not really in line for that position, right? Nobody in his family has kingly lineage. And uh, he he actually is, he's brought out and um, during this crazy circumstances, he fights Goliath. You guys remember that story? And he kills this giant and it, like it sort of sets these people free. He becomes elevated as a war hero. Then he actually becomes a military leader. He becomes even more of a war hero and he's celebrated so much so that people throw praise in his honor and they write songs on his behalf. Some of you are like, this doesn't sound really dark, but we're getting there, okay? And I want you to listen to this. This is actually an excerpt from like a, a section of his life where things sort of turn. It seems like nothing could go wrong for this kid, like everything's just going in his direction. First Samuel chapter 18, verse six says this, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, talking about Goliath, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet them. And they sang and danced with joy with tambourines and cymbals. Does this happen when you come home like every day? Guys, just women from all the towns. They're like, he's home, you know? I can't even get my kid to look up from his iPad. But like, this is great. Good for you, David. This was the song that they sang. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And this made King Saul very angry. He's the current king. Verse nine, this is where things sort of changed for him. From that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So God has blessed David at this point in his life, but there's one person who really hates him. And unfortunately, that person is the most powerful person in David's world at this time in history. Like, think about that if you're trying to advise him. Like, everyone hates me. Well, not everyone, just the only person that control, uh, controls everyone's fate in this entire nation. And I guess that is kind of a bummer for you. And Saul does the thing that most ancient kings would do when they feel threatened. He determines to hunt and kill David. And so David goes on the run. But in spite the king leveraging his entire kingdom to try and ruin him and his reputation, 
soldiers and warriors begin following David because they've seen him up close. They've seen his integrity. They've seen what kind of warrior and leader he is. And they support and protect him and fight alongside him, which is extraordinary because that means that these people would have to go on the run too. Allying themselves with David means that now they're hated alongside David in the same way that David is. That means that they're no longer safe in their own homes. And that's a tough life. And you think like, yeah, I could do that for one of my best friends that I really believed in or a leader that I really respected. I could do that for a short period of time. What about like, you know, years? Maybe like a decade or more. I mean, this drags on and on and on for years. And then this happens. And this starts to get really rough. First Samuel chapter 30, verse one, says this, when David and his men arrived home, at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had crushed it and burned it to the ground. They'd carried off the women and children and everyone else. And when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters and began to talk of stoning him. Like they get home after being on the run with this guy, trying to support him and care for him. And when they got home, they realized that their worst fears were realized. Their home was destroyed. Their family had been taken and enslaved. Their city burnt to the ground. Think about what would be going on in your mind at that moment. Some of you are like, probably a lot of the content of Psalm chapter 22. What you just read sounds a lot like what would be going on there even though that's written about a different section of time from David's life, I think a lot of you can, could see his mind sort of sitting in that place in this moment because the situation is terrible and the future looks like it's not gonna get any better. And based on like what we have read about David and some things we know about David, we might expect that his thought life would spiral and his emotions would tank in this moment, that like when the bottom actually drops out and the worst imaginable things happen and the circumstances are horrible, that David would sort of lose it, that like what his inner monologue, the things he was telling himself would, would sort of spiral out of control. But the story takes like a weird turn because it doesn't tell us maybe what we expect from David because David at this point in his life has grown some inwardly. And it tells us this, the, the, the story sort of deadens in this place as First Samuel 30, verse six, the end of verse six says this. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Now, like, I, I, I don't like this phrasing in English as I've done a lot of studying about this. Like, found strength makes it sound like it was something he stumbled onto, like it happened by accident. Like, he didn't do anything to sort of build it, you know? Like, he was walking one day and like sort of stumbled over strength in the Lord, but that's not really what happens. Like, and we do this sometimes in language where we have a turn of phrase that if you're analyzing it on the surface, it doesn't really say exactly what it means, but we've agreed on a meaning that we kind of get it, right? I, this is the same sort of thing when people are like, you know, I lost weight. And it's like, did you lose it, right? Is that just happened? Like you were just stumbling along and you're like, 20 pounds just fell off, right? Like, did you lose it? Was it accidental? Did you just sort of stumble onto this moment? Or did it happen on purpose, okay? Through a lot of hard work and some grueling starvation. Like, how did it actually happen? 
Right? It's a bad turn of phrase, but we kind of get it. We understand what someone is, is talking about here. And it, it's sort of this idea of David finding strength sort of brings up an incorrect assumption in us that like this process for David was passive when in fact it was proactive. Um, other English translations, other than New, the New Living, which often we preach from here, um, uses this other phrase that David strengthened himself or that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And this is actually more accurate to the original language, what's actually happening here. That David is proactively encouraging himself. That David is trying to work on his inner monologue in a moment where all the circumstances are sort of bottoming out in his life. What does this actually mean? I wanna give you um, a couple of New Testament scriptures that I think define what is happening in the life of David in this moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse five says this, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Now, this is some like churchy kind of language here. So I wanna sort of break down what this New Testament author is telling us. He's saying like, listen, you can't control what happens in life or what is said about you. You can't even really control what thoughts enter into your mind, but you can control what you do with them once they're there. You do have some agency over which thoughts you listen to and dwell on, which ones you override, which ones you push into the background, which ones you put on repeat. Like the thought just popped into my head. It did, but you don't have to make best friends with it. You don't have to replay that song over and over and over again. This is where you do have some authority. And in fact, you are to capture it because it's rebelling against your ability to think about your life, about life in general, about other people, and even about God, the way that God sees these things. In 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 21 Another New Testament author tells us this. He says, test everything that's said and hold on to what is good. I think we might like look at this and naturally assume and apply this to things that other people say to us, right? Or things that we read or things that a politician says or like a, a piece of information. How often though do we apply this to the things that we say to ourselves, how often do you slow down and test the things you say to you? Because how many of you are aware that you are feeding yourself lies in a loop and yet you just assume that it's true? This is telling us like every single thought that comes through your mind, you need to get into the practice, the habit, the discipline of slowing down and saying, is this true? Is this helpful? Is this good? No, no then maybe don't hold on to it. I wonder how many of us, like, we, we, we do the opposite of this, this phrase. We're like, I test nothing that I say to myself, and I just hold on to whatever feels familiar. Well, a lot of that stuff seems like it's making you miserable. It definitely is. Should we test that, weed through it, maybe, like, pull a few of those things out of the playlist? It feels like work. I don't know how to do that. Um, I just keep hating myself. I think that's the path I'm going to go down. The, the word good here means of God, by the way. It, it's saying compare how you tend to interpret something 
to what Jesus says about that thing. And then refuse to regularly say to yourself anything that you can't imagine a good God saying to you. Now, some of us hear that and we're just like, so live in denial. That's not what this is saying. Like, this isn't asking us to deny reality. Living in denial is pretending that something isn't happening. God does not want you to do this. Capturing or testing your thoughts is less about what's happening and more about the meaning that you assign it. And the reason that this matters is that whatever you say to yourself most often determines who you become, determines the type of person you become, determines how you approach all of life. And whatever it is that David is repeating to himself, whatever he's saying to himself most often in these really dark moments, like the one that we just read through, is making him stronger and more like God. That's what this passage is telling us, that David is strengthening himself in the Lord, that David is encouraging himself in the Lord, that he's weeding through his thoughts, that he's taking them captive, that he's testing every single one, that he is eliminating the ones that are not like the way God talks, and that he is holding on to and repeating the ones that he believes are good and of God. And this is making him stronger. Is, is this true of you? Is this what you do? Like the ancient Jews believed that, that what you meditated on most in your mind had a profound impact on the condition of your heart. In other words, like your thought life or your inner monologue determined your disposition, your orientation towards God and life and other people. And not all lyric loops like go to the same place or even good places. There's a, this quintessential example in Jewish history um, embedded in the Exodus story. The Jews are all a slave, enslaved to the Egyptians and God sends Moses to go free the people and he works these uh, plagues to sort of, you know, jolt Pharaoh into setting the people free. And these are like, like crazy circumstances. And people that are actually sort of watching objectively what's happening can see that like, you know, God really is making a point here and we should probably listen to what's going on. And, and yet, like Pharaoh has a different disposition. It says this in Exodus chapter eight, verse 19. This is a warning from God. They're pointing to like, remember how the river turned to blood and like frogs rained from the sky and all this craziness? I'm, I'm pretty sure this is a warning from God, said Pharaoh's advisors. But Pharaoh's heart remained hard and he wouldn't listen. And why is this the case? Because Pharaoh is doing the opposite of what David did. Like what Pharaoh is repeating to himself and how he's interpreting the situation hardened his heart, making him more entitled and angry and bitter and vengeful. Pharaoh's heart got harder because of his inner monologue, because of the soundtrack that he's playing over the story that he lives in. Look how David's heart ends up being described though. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart David. Like the David, because of the way he talks to himself, because of the way that he thinks in his mind, it has changed the condition of his heart and made it like God. What each character says to themselves 
has an impact on their heart, how they feel about and experience and react to life. David's heart becomes stronger. Pharaoh's heart becomes harder. And some of you are like, what's the difference? Isn't stronger, harder? Isn't harder, stronger? And actually, these things are very, very different, especially when you're talking about a heart. Like, think about this biologically. Everybody wants a strong heart. This is a good thing to do, right? Like, one that can handle stress and strain and recover quickly. You do not want a hard heart, though. Like, biologically, like hard arteries that are rigid and narrow and, like, clotted and can break, right? This is not what you're after, And so what is it biologically that leads your heart in one direction or another? Whatever's coursing through it. This is why like the way that we eat and the way that we treat our bodies matter to our hearts. And if our mind is connected to the heart of our body, our soul, whatever's coursing through our mind, whatever we allow into our heart is either strengthening it or hardening it. I wonder if you've ever been around someone whose inner monologue had hardened them. Like, you don't know what they're saying to themselves, but you know it's something not great because it's made them angry and depressive and vengeful and fatalistic. It's almost like they can't even hear anything uplifting or encouraging or positive because no matter who says it or how they say it, their heart won't let it in. And even when people say good things to them, it it doesn't register in them because this is the way our hearts and minds work. The, The reality is anything anyone says to you filters through what you say to you. This is the power of the soundtrack in your own mind, the commentary that you're giving. You've been there, right? When someone's like, that was amazing. You're like, no, it wasn't, that's stupid. They're just saying that, they don't even really care. It's dumb. They don't know who I compare myself to. I'm actually, that what they meant by that was that I'm an idiot and they hate me. They don't want me here. And they're like, I literally said the opposite of that and meant what I said. Right? Because it doesn't really matter what people say. It matters what you hear. And you only hear what's coming from your own commentary. That's the only thing that's really sinking down and making a difference. And what I think is fascinating about these two little examples here is both David and Pharaoh responded to what the people around them were saying based on what they were saying to themselves. David strengthens himself in the Lord, encourages himself in the Lord, and is able to keep all the toxic stuff that his friends are saying to him uh, about like, hey, we want to kill you. Life is horrible. What have you done to us, right? He knows that he's doing what's right and living with integrity and circumstances are sort of conspiring against him. And he's able to keep that stuff from poisoning his heart. But on the flip side, Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he's unable to hear the truth that his advisors are speaking to him. And I wonder like, what about you? Like, do you talk to yourself more like Pharaoh or more like David. And what effect is that, that talk having on your heart about the way you feel about and experience and react to life? When was the last time you asked yourself this question? Like, is what I say to myself consistent with what God says about me? Is what I say to me consistent with what God says about me? Because the reason why we have to ask this question is, I think much like my kids, some of us aren't even aware of what we are singing to ourselves. 
which is why it can be so profound sitting in a small group and you give your commentary on what you think is happening in your life and people are like, huh, that's not how we see you. That's not how we see the circumstance. Uh, that's not from biblical evidence how God sees you. And if you have a different opinion on yourself than God has of you, who's more likely to be wrong? You. But again, it doesn't matter what God says. If it is contrary to what you were repeating to yourself, you'll just believe your own inner voice. Despite the action on the screen, your emotions will cave around the soundtrack in your own mind because this is the way you work. And I got to tell you, as you can assume, capturing his thoughts wasn't something that really came naturally to David. And as we read early on, like his default was kind of dark. And maybe this is the case for you where you're just like, if I'm not paying attention to it and reflecting on it, and like talking through it and identifying it and testing it, it like defaults to like really negative places. And this was David's case too, which is why he praised this. And other people adapt this prayer too. And this may be something that you wanna pull into your life. David praised this in Psalm 139, 23. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. He's asking, he's like, God, you gotta help me because it is not natural to me to think how you think. Like the way I talk to myself is not at all the way that you talk to me. And I'm not even aware of it because I'm so familiar with my own inner monologue that I don't even notice at times what I'm singing to myself. God, you've got to test me and alert me to the things I'm saying to myself that do not reflect you. I wonder if it would be a good idea for you to pray a version of this prayer and genuinely mean it. I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen if you started your conversations with God this week by inviting him into the conversation that you are having with yourself. I wonder what would happen in your life if you learned to encourage yourself in the Lord. If you could edit the internal playlist, if you could decide to demote or delete certain things off the lyric loops in your mind. And I think you can. And I wanna give you just in closing a real practical path of how to do that. These four words that I would encourage you just to sketch out somewhere. I mean, I'm all start with R so that they're easier to remember. This is sort of how we can sort of test or capture our thoughts. Recognize, replace, repeat, respond. And here's what I mean by that. This is just a simplification of what all these verses are saying. To recognize is to actually take time to acknowledge a toxic thought that you're repeating to yourself and why it's wrong. And this is the first step to really getting freedom from certain negative self-talk is to actually recognize what you're doing. Man, I say that to me a lot and that is not true. It feels true, it's not true. And this is why it's not true. And you need to locate the evidence in life that proves that that thought is not true. This may actually take some help from other people. This is why mentors and growth groups and therapists are really helpful to help us recognize. Sometimes we can see that something is wrong, but we can't find the evidence as to why it's wrong. And we need help to do that. The second thing is to replace it, to write out an interpretation 
of your situation um, that is accurate to the way that God sees it. If you are repeating a wrong thought, there is a right thought that goes there that is accurate. And you have to identify what that is. And again, this may take other people to say, that's actually not what's real about you. This is what's real about you. Let's put that on a loop. And that actually brings us to the next one, to repeat it, right? To, to write it down, post it everywhere, to allow yourself to see it and echo it, to say it over and over and over and over again to yourself. You know what makes like a song catchy or a saying catchy? It's repetition, right? Just repeating it over and over to yourself. And here's the thing. If you have a negative or a toxic thought that's dragging you down, it's been repeated so many times, you're gonna have to repeat the inverse of that thing just as much or more. And that is a practice, a habit. And the last thing is respond, to commit to actions that demonstrate that what God says is true even when it doesn't feel true. And here's how you actually find or help yourself amass evidence of what is really true. You live according to what you know is true even when it doesn't feel true. You live according to what you know is true even when it doesn't feel true true. You respond in ways. And eventually your brain starts being like, well, this must be true. That's the way that we're living. This can work in your favor. And I'm convinced that if David wasn't doing this, that he would have crashed and burned with the things happening in his life, that he would have never seized the throne, that he would have never lived out his destiny. God has a plan and a purpose for you, but here's the reality. You can decide to not move in that direction. And I, I wonder like what sort of divine destiny will require you to change the way you talk to yourself? I wonder what kind of dreams God has placed in your heart for your life, for your family, for your future. What sorts of things that you wanna do or be a part of that in order for those things to happen out here, you're gonna have to change what you're saying to yourself up here. I wonder what those things are for you because that's what's on the line. I think David understood that God had an anointing on his life to be the next king. And if he didn't change the way he talked to himself, he would never, ever end up in the palace and it's not just that he wouldn't end up in the palace, it's that if he ever got there, he would not know how to handle it because his thoughts would shipwreck his actions. And this is why we begin a series about words here because the way you talk to yourself shapes and impacts and affects the way you talk to and about everyone else. This is where we begin. And like David, you can't do it on your own. You've got to invite God into that process. And that's what I want us to do this morning. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? God, we pray that you would, like David, search our hearts, know our thoughts, know the, the places and the spaces where we are anxious within. Know the places where we are repeating certain destructive things to ourselves and we don't even recognize it. 
Half the time, we don't even notice the downward spiral happening in us until someone else points us out and we don't know how to make a change. God, I pray that we would begin all of our conversations with you by inviting you to be at the center of our conversation with ourselves, that you would make it clear which thoughts reflect yours and which don't. And God, I pray that you would help us to uproot the lies in our own lives and put on repeat the things that you say to and about us. And God, may this begin to re rework the way that we think. And because we're reworking the way that we think, may it retool the way that we live. God, I believe that there is a powerful God-designed destiny in each of us. And the way that we talk to ourselves is key to realizing it. God, help us to think about ourselves the way you think about us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.